you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our first reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our second reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 10. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some are fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one time untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Thanks for the Bible reading. Hi, West Weekly Watchers. My name is Lee Diprose, and I'm one of the... uh, pastors, one of the lay pastors at the City on the Hill West. Today I'm going to be sharing with you a summation of our preaching series, Crisis in Corinth 1, and uh, I hope that that will be helpful to you. I hope God's looking after you, and I hope he's keeping you safe and secure in your relationship with him. The other morning I was out rolling um, along on my bike and reflecting on the first Corinthian series. And a bevy of R words came into my mind. Recall, reflect, remember, reiterate, recount, readdress, rejoice. Uh, Through the series, I'm sure God has spoken in a number of ways to you uh, by his word and through his spirit. I'm sure there's times when he's warned you, admonished you, convicted you, and I hope he's given you a whole lot of encouragement along the way. Whatever he's shown you and taught you, I encourage you to recall it to mind and treasure it. Remember those moments when he spoke, because a series needs some consolidating along the way. During the 2021 20, week preaching series, a maze of truths, issues and earthly subjects were addressed. 
what we face in COVID-19 is not too dissimilar to the crisis issues in the Corinthian church. Within our current crisis or crises, there is uncertainty and fragility and uh, a heightened sense susceptibility to sin. First Corinthians is a warning that weakness and waywardness are only a breath away from any one of us. Uh, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls, it says in First Corinthians 10. The church of Corinth wasn't just fraught with susceptibility, but caught up in sad, sinful anomalies. There were preferences, superiority, compromise, doubt, and disbelief. There was unforgiveness, promiscuity, superiority, and compromise. And all these arose out of a proud, willful spirit. The Corinthian church was in dire straits and it was on the verge of imploding. It had a myriad of sinful shortcomings. And with its myriad of shortcomings, Paul plugged for the cross work of Christ to be the main focus, the main test and standard for their Christian ministry and living. And I think that's something we need today too, that we need to keep focusing on the gospel's power. Right from the outset, uh, in chapter one, uh, Paul is gospel-minded. In the first nine verses, he builds up his fellow believers by emphasizing their standing and their identity and security in Christ. He begins by telling them who they are before he tells them what they have done and what they should do. Paul wants them to see who they are and what they have in Christ before he gets down to the nitty gritty of his pastoral and brotherly concern. Paul doesn't mince his words. He implores them to get their act together and live lives that are consistent with their identity in Christ. It's a reminder that in our confinement and restriction, we must not lose sight of who we are in Christ and what we're being given in and through the gospel. For me, one of the notable truths in the series was Paul's confidence of what the gospel could yet achieve in the Corinthians' lives. The Corinthians' way of life needed an overhaul. It was robbing God of his glory, and it was a pale reflection of their knowing Christ. When Dr. Peter Adam spoke, he put it well. The Corinthians were converted from an unchristian background or unchristian backgrounds, but they were still living unconverted lives. Many hadn't left behind their idolatry and thought they could continue serving other gods while serving the one true and living God. They needed to mount up and they needed to live for Christ. They need to stop being infants in Christ, or as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, people of the flesh. They needed to cease being man-centered, disassociate themselves from the sexually immoral, be prepared to surrender their personal rights, and run and run from idolatrous practices. They needed to love and live like Christ. Well, God sat down, Paul inspired him uh, to write this particular letter and to tackle subjects, a range of subjects, subjects like marriage and singleness and freedom and idolatry, the Lord's Supper and spiritual gifts. And in every one of those subjects, they had God's gracious revelations. 
Uh, Guy Mason uh, told us in his message on 1 Corinthians 7, entitled Sex, Marriage and Singleness, he told us that Christians are those that are given a life where, they, where their emphasis is to be on other person-centeredness. That's why you have this recurring thread right through 1 Corinthians in building one another up so as to enhance the church's unity. Their discoveries and their giftedness were by manifestation of the Spirit, but it was for the common good. It wasn't just for their own sake, but it was for others' sake. So we find that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 4 to 7 in particular. John Carson says, we never get beyond following a crucified Saviour. Until the end of the age, he says, we will take up our cross, that is, we will die to self-interest daily and follow Jesus. Now, one of the um, sad features of the Corinthians was that they were given to self-love rather than to showing God's love. They competed with each other, they practiced one-upmanship, and even took one another to court over disputes. Uh, their lovelessness was quite terrible. They needed to remember from where they'd come and the change that God had brought about by his cleansing, sanctifying, justifying work. They need to remember, too, uh, of where they'd been uh, before they heard the gospel and how the gospel had rescued them, how Christ had come and changed their lives. Such were some of you, but you were cleansed, sanctified, justified. So Paul is out to stave off the Corinthians' want. They had a want and a search and a striving for something more by high, and, so, and he does that by highlighting what they already are and have in Christ. There was an overarching and uh, clear determination on the part of Paul expressed in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 17, and then over in chapter 2 and verse 2. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Then it says in chapter 2, he says that in the second verse, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it is the work of Christ on the cross and the work of Christ in the resurrection, which is all important. Uh, both of that can be uh, uh, brought together under the one work of the atonement. Christ's act of atonement is something that cannot be divorced from the gifting and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It appears from 1 Corinthians that there was this kind of separation going on. There was a kind of separating of the works of Christ in the atonement from the workings of the Spirit. Additional things like knowledge and tongues were being unduly sorted as if over and above and beyond the cross. They were the so-called deep and active things that came from God. Paul is at pains to point out that the grace of God is everything. He starts speaking about grace at the start of the letter and right at the conclusion of the letter as well. Leon Morris has written, the cross should be the burden of all our preaching. A Christianity that is not cross-centered is no Christianity at all. It's by the cross that we are transformed, 
and it's by the cross that the love of God that is spoken about in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and Luke gave us a, a great message in regard to love, uh, that that love is able to be put into practice. It's firstly experiencing and seeing and understanding just how greatly we need to be loved by God in the crucifixion and resurrection that gives us a, uh, an emphasis in our life on that which truly matters. I remember, remember a, a young guy uh, called Marino coming to me one day, uh, rather perturbed and on edge. He was a new convert who'd been brought out of a Roman Catholic background. In the early days of his new Christian life, he was influenced by a bunch of Christians who pressed him to know added experiences of the Spirit beyond the cross. They uh, implied that Christ's crosswork was good, but the Spirit had fresh and better things for him to know. Things that went over and above and beyond the cross. Over a number of weeks, we uh, sat together, studied the Bible, prayed, and uh, read together a little book called entitled Beyond the Cross. The truth of the power of the cross and the powerful connecting work of the Spirit came home to him. And it was wonderful, just wonderful to see his, uh, his freedom in Christ reinvigorated and to see him freshly empowered for ministry. I, I still remember him leaving the study uh, on uh, more than one occasion, uh, excited by what God had done. Uh, with a new spring in his step. As I said before, the one work of the atonement includes the cross and resurrection. The gospel summation given in Romans uh, 15, 3, and the verses following reinforces this. Andy, uh, Luke, and Dave brought us three good messages from 1 Corinthians 15 that highlighted the historical, theological, and physical outworkings of the resurrection of Jesus. They showed how doubting, disbelieving Corinthian Christians needed to cease from being governed by Greek culture and philosophical thought. They needed to embrace the facts and the evidence of Christ rising from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul was at pains to point out that everything hinged upon Christ's resurrection. Paul's point was that the resurrection reinforced and secured the achievements of Jesus' death. So there at the cross, Jesus died. He wore and bore our sin. But then in his rising from death, defeated our enemies and dealt with our judgment and secured our victory. His resurrection took away the sting of sin. So the resurrection is very important. By it, we have assurance of sins forgiven. By it, we have a complete deliverance. And by it, we have entry into a full forever life. Paul Tripp, uh, viewing uh, 1 Corinthians 15, says, God will not rest from his redemptive work until he has once and for all presided over the funeral of sin and death. This was Paul's word to the Corinthians, who thought the resurrection hadn't happened. So Paul pointed out that Jesus was the life-giving one who put us in line now to receive a new body of glory and a body of victory. So for the Corinthians, 
and for us, as we face the inevitability of our own death, we can face it without fear because Jesus has won the victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We don't have to be scared of dying. How good that is. Meantime, as Paul showed the Corinthians, and he showed this and pointed this out in the 10th chapter in verses 12 and 13, we are stuck with uh, the subject of sin. We are subject to sin, to a sin-prone body that is susceptible every day to pride and temptation. As long as we're on this earth, we're going to be um, faced with this susceptibility. The encouraging truth in 1 Corinthians 10 is that our susceptibility is something that we don't have to face on our own. The immeasurable greatness of God's power in raising Jesus from the death is towards us. And we have a heavenly father, an ever faithful heavenly father, who provides a way of escape for us. So every day we are in need of dependence upon the Lord. For the Corinthians, there was uh, never any place for self-gratulation. That is, uh, they couldn't sort of sit back in their pleasure or with pleasure and satisfaction, thinking their situation was a matter of luck or good fortune. No, their situation was there because of God's goodness, because of his mercy and his grace. So they needed to see and count on their now God-given privilege and position in knowing Christ. And they needed to see too that with this came great responsibility, a responsibility to love, to obey, and to live holy lives. That was the pathway for them, and it's the pathway for us towards maturity. One further, further thing to recall from 1 Corinthians is that the gospel is such good, powerful news that it can't be kept to ourselves. It needs to be revealed. Over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verses 17 and 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I don't know about you, but I really fear for churches and for persons and families and generations growing up without a knowledge and experience and, and a personal understanding of Christ's cross work and Christ's um, victory through the resurrection. It's the greatest happening for any human being to actually come to an understanding where they em embrace the news of the cross and the resurrection. As somebody once said, it's good news for bad men and bad news for good men. So, in 1 Corinthians, we have a reminder that there's always room for growth in our walk with Jesus. It's why Paul concludes his letter wishing that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That's what we need. So in your recalling, in your reflecting, and in your remembering the lessons of 1 Corinthians, Take up the words of John Newton and uh, think upon them. This is what John Newton said. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I hope to be. I'm not what I wish to be. But blessed be God, I'm not 
what I was, and by his grace, I am what I am. May the Lord bless you and grow you in his grace and love. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.